I remember my days in camp, at the canteen, there was a big sign. It said, money is the source of all evil. Leave your evil here. I'm sure you've seen similar signs. But is that true? Is money indeed the source of all evil? It's true that Balzac said, behind every great fortune lies a great crime, and money definitely can corrupt, and has corrupted, and can be the root of many problems. But money has also achieved great things, noble things. So please join me in this exploration of what is money. Is it good? Is it evil? Is it true what some of the more ascetic monks say, best to live an impoverished life, or can wealth actually be harnessed for great things? Please join me in this discussion, important discussion. Is money the source of all evil? Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about Is Money the Source of All Evil? This program is dedicated, best wishes and blessings, to Tim Fowley on his upcoming birthday. I remember when in our, in our days in camp, so there was a canteen. The thing that always stood out in the canteen was this sign that said, Money is the source of all evil. Leave your evil here. I'm sure you've seen similar signs, similar expressions. And it just was implanted in my mind, I remembered all of these years. But is it true? Is money indeed the source of all evil? Now, the case can be made that look what money has done. Money corrupts people. Money has been used to destroy. Without money, you could never have managed and ran and waged wars and executions and genocides. But on the other hand, We've seen money has also built beautiful things. Money has made this world a far more civilized place. Nobility, charity, kindness, virtue is all a result of money as well. So what is the story with money? And we know that people who make money, they, can, they have the choice. Just because you make a lot of money, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't necessarily make you a worse person. Maybe it comes down to who you are. And then we look at and see what you do with your money. So let's talk about this in a way that's also very practical to each one of us. Now, in general, there are school, two schools of thought, as usual. One school of thought is that money, or let's broaden the term materialism, is the root of all problems, if not the root of all evil. And the best is to live an ascetic lifestyle, a lifestyle where you're not preoccupied with competition, competition with others, having to please, whether it's an employee or an employer or it's a client or that whole game that people play and then it becomes a, an end in itself, the vicious cycle. Like remember one person telling me, he's worked at Goldman Sachs, he said money, the pursuit of money in our company, just I lost all my friends. People had true friends because we became competitors with each other. In our own company, our, our boss would have us would play us against each other. That's how profit is made. 
and it can be a pursuit using, if I can quote Karl Marx, of a lot of alienation, alienation from others, alienation from yourself, alienation from employer and employee, an imbalance, and there's a lot of truth to that. Not that he offered a better viable plan. So on that, on that side, and I've heard many things like that. So some argue, you know what, you want to live a peaceful, happy life? Get out of the world of the rat race, the roller coaster of Wall Street and all its implications. I remember reading an article years ago, I think it was the New York Times Magazine. It was a cover story, but it was a very interesting story. It was about a guy who, uh, a Greek immigrant who lived in the United States, and uh, he, made his, he made a living and was successful. And then he was diagnosed in his years, I think in his 60s, he was diagnosed with uh, cancer. And they told him it was terminal, he had six months to live, and that was that. So he decided, you know what, that's the case, I'm going back home to one of the Greek Isles with his wife, and he moved back to his hometown. The fact of the matter, he lived six months, he lived six years, he lived many more years. So this journalist, I guess, discovered the story, and he decided to figure out what happened exactly. Was it just luck? Was it the environment? Was it the difference between living in America or in one of these Greek islands? So he went there, he went to, the, he went to this town, small town, and Greece is made up of many little islands, and, uh, and all these towns all over. Yeah, and he meets them. He's all healthy and well. And he starts studying. He sees in that town people have a longevity that's far higher than the regular age life expectancy everywhere else in the Western world or the, re or, or the entire world. And he's wondering why. So he thought maybe it's the Mediterranean diet. So then he goes on and um, starts researching and visiting other towns. Because if it's the diet or it's the climate or something about that particular area, would they say, and, and it's not the case. In other cities close by, people don't have that same life expectancy. And he couldn't figure it out until he realized this town was unique. They didn't have clocks. There were no clocks. I'm sure some people had watches, but it was not like a permanent fixture. And then he realized the entire town did not work around schedules and deadlines. They were primarily a social network, a real social network, not a virtual one. They interacted, they had coffee, tea. It was all about like one large family. Yes, people worked, but work was not their primary activity. It was just a minimum to make ends meet. And they helped each other. And he realized the whole environment was a very different one than most of us are familiar with. And he came to the conclusion that that was what that changed. His entire pace of life, his pr the pressures from the outside were essentially wearing him down and definitely weakened his immune system. And here he was living a far more peaceful, calm life, nurtured by each other. We know how much people need each other. Anyway, I remember the last uh, end of the article was the best part. He says, so he decided he's going back to America. And of course, he's going to interview the doctors that diagnosed him. He comes back. All the doctors are dead. That's the last line of the article. So it's an interesting argument to be made that perhaps the pursuit of money as an end in itself and just become as wealthy as you can and then you can buy whatever you want, which is, of course, the dream of the Western dream. And I, I'm not going to, I don't know the Eastern world that well, but I would say a large part of this world, including China and other Asian countries and so on. So some would argue that itself Forget about whether money corrupts per se and that money can be destructive. 
but very, the very drive of that goes against the grain of the natural soul. You can make a very strong argument. And therefore, an ascetic lifestyle, which was very appealing, especially in the 60s, people moved to farms, the more hippie style, just that type of more blissful life. So that's one argument. The other argument, beginning with Calvin and um, Hegel and, uh, and other the philosophers that argued, which ultimately evolved into the Protestant work ethic, that though work was actually seen as menial, in the days of the Romans and the Greeks of old. And the, the emperor philosophers, the king philosophers, were not busy with menial labor. They had servants for that. They were busy with ideas, with romance, with poetry, with transcendence. Yet, the, this developed into a theory which is, no, we go to work and we work ethically, with virtue, charity. And therefore, the approach would be absolutely engage in it, and in many ways, this was the birth of capitalism. Now, capitalism, raw capitalism, can be very selfish and greedy, driven by personal gain. But it has been tamed, different laws. Socialism has had definitely an impact on capitalism. We wouldn't have unions, workers' rights, workers' compensation, many of the, the rights that are given to workers to be able to, they couldn't not just be slaves to their employers. But nevertheless, capitalism is driven very much that money is the driving force, but we have to learn how to guide it, and some say through charity. Um, uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie has an excellent essay. It's called The Gospel of Wealth. I think now it's called, it was first called Wealth, now it's called The Gospel of Wealth, an essay that has strong impact on Bill Gates and on the Warren Buffett in their charitable ventures, that we balance it through that approach of being virtuous. But greed is good, as some said. As uh, who's it? Uh, Gecko said in uh, Wall Street, the film. Greed is good; it drives things. The case for capitalism against socialism, which really means, yes, it has its risks, but life has its risks. So it's not about asceticism or disengaging. It's engaging, but try to create rules and laws. But we all know, regulations go that far, especially when the watchdogs need watchdogs, as we've seen time and again how corruption even corrupts the people who are supposed to be checking and watching others not to be corrupt. And, the, and there we go, back to the merry-go-round of money, the vicious cycle. And if you go a little further on that end of the spectrum, you know what? This is life. And the fact of the matter is, yes, people with money feel they're in control and they feel they can buy others. And people, what will they do for money? Just look at someone who's very wealthy. Look how people gravitate around them. Look how they suck up to them, so to speak, and how they constantly trying to uh, gratiate themselves. Money talks. That's how it is. So is there a third option? And the answer is absolutely. And we'll call it the soul of wealth, the soul of money. A number of years ago, I was invited to Cambridge University. They had actually a, a, a conference, and it was called Affluence and Religion. And these discussions, were, I was asked to deliver a paper on money and spirituality. The paper is actually published on our website, meaningfullife.com. It's like a six-part, a five-part or six-part long paper with notes and so on. So a lot of what I'm saying is taken from there, as well as the chapter on money, on charity and wealth in uh, Toward a Meaningful Life. But I'm not repeating myself. I'll be sharing some new ideas so I'm not just referring you to these texts, but that's a supporting materials, let's call it that, for further reading.
And essentially, it's a third take on the whole idea of going back. What is, what is wealth? What is money? Now, we know money became a force. You know, once upon a time, it was trading goods. I gave you rice, you gave me potatoes, etc. Money became the symbol of either a lot of acquisition, and then we agreed upon a certain type of currency that represented, that represented what I own or what I've maneuvered to own. So money is really a way of the exchange of human beings in their value and how they exchange resources and how they purchase, how they buy and sell, supply and demand. And this has been analyzed, whether you go to Adam Smith, capitalism, or Karl Marx, Marxism and socialism, and all the variations in between has been analyzed and thought through. Nobody's ever come up with a great system. It's like Churchill said, Democracy or capitalism is the worst system, but he's never found a better one. But what is missing in the in discussion is really the soul of it all. Where does it all begin? And it doesn't begin with wealth. And it doesn't begin with money. It begins with the human being. Because without human beings, there's no transactions. And there's no money and there's no negotiations. So it really comes down, what drives us? Are we essentially a material human being which means driven by materialism, acquisition, equity, money, and so on? Or are we actually a different type of entity, let's call it a spiritual being, that's on a physical journey, as opposed to a physical being on a spiritual journey? It changes everything. Because if we are at essence, a soul, and our body is only a vehicle, then materialism and money is only a means and only a vehicle to fulfill higher purpose. But most people don't see it that way. The pursuit of money has become an end in itself. Which tells you that people see themselves, not necessarily because they went through a long philosophical exploration, but simply by default. Because materialism is our default state. You wake up in the morning, you see the world, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you have needs, you want to buy something, you're tempted by something. Money is all part of that process. And I say money again in the broad sense of materialism. The more, the more sublime pursuits of life, spiritual pursuits that are less visible, less tangible, takes effort. So of course the default state is that money is so central. So it really comes down to not what money is, but who we are. And once we know who we are, then we can look at our tool chest, so to speak, our instruments, which includes finance, money, includes food, clothing, shelter, and all the other needs or luxuries that we acquire in life. So let's talk about that. We live in a world primarily, and I'm not talking about all societies, but definitely the Western world, materialism comes first. This doesn't mean that everybody's a materialistic, greedy uh, narcissist, but it means many are, and many could be. But that is what is the most important thing of all. I first have to pay my bills. Most people will not say, I first have to satisfy my spiritual needs. Now, there are those that are spiritually wired that way or have been burned by the material world and come to discover these deeper truths. But the general, general as I said, the default is we live in a materialistic world. And the question is, are you going to be more virtuous, less virtuous, completely corrupt? Some cynics or, 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 or uh, skeptics will say, hey, you know what? It's dog eats dog. It's all about you, me, me, me the selfish gene, survival of the fittest, 
And that defines also my financial and my... Now, if I get something from you, I'll give you something. Give and take. But you don't get anything for free, so to speak. That is pretty much the state of affairs. With all the exceptions. And I'm saying there are millions of people that perhaps don't live that way. But it's, it's the default state. This is what you see. This is what you hear about. So obviously, when you look at money from that perspective, it has a whole different vantage point. But here's the alternative perspective that I'd like to submit. We are fundamentally a soul. You and I is a, you're a soul. A soul is a spiritual energy, a divine energy, something that's not tangible, cannot be experienced through sensory tools. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. However, it is what makes you who you are. That's the interesting paradox. The things that you touch, or let's start, that you see, sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell, don't define you. They're your experiences. They are like bridges. You can say gates between you and the world around you. But you don't need eyes to see yourself. You don't need ears to hear yourself. You don't need taste, touch, and smell to experience yourself. It's only interaction. So think about it, how the senses really control our lives. So it's obvious why we are far more materialistic. Everything is more empirical, corporeal. But the sublime spiritual is who you are. That's the essence of who you are. And when you look in the Bible, it's exactly what it says. Who is the human being? Yes, a piece of clay, piece of earth, imbued with the divine breath, with spiritual energy. And that's the difference between a corpse, God forbid, and a living being. The living being is the soul that makes you... You want to use a different word than soul? Use electricity, use spirit. It's, those are semantics. Now, what does this soul look like? Since we can't experience it with our sensory tools, but we experience it other ways. We experience it when we're touched, when we're sad, when we're happy, when we're in love when we're seeking something deeper than just the material universe. And using Kabbalistic language, mystics, the material world is just a husk, a shell, a surface level. Think of it like the surface of the sea that covers up everything beneath it. There's a whole world beneath it. Now, this is not so mysterious, not, not so crazy today. I remember when I wrote Toward a Meaningful Life, the publisher said to me, she said, remember, today people are comfortable with the invisible. Don't be afraid to talk about the invisible. And I said, what do you mean? He said, look, mobile phones, internet, technology. And absolutely. We now today see the material world. Everybody knows the material world is the surface. It's made up of elements. Elements are made up of molecules. Molecules are comprised of atoms. Atoms, the building blocks are subatomic particles. And down the rabbit hole you go. No one knows how far. The deeper you go, beneath the surface, not out there, within, the less tangible it is. No one has ever seen subatomic particles under a microscope. But we know it's there, just like DNA and other microscopic forces that define this world. We know today, you don't see electricity. You don't see the sound waves that when you're speaking on a mobile phone, like what's connecting us, there's no wire, but there's something there in the air, if you wish, whatever you want to call it. The soul is the fundamental essence of who you are. It's compared to a flame. And like a flame that flickers, it's restless. And it's always 
seeking upwards, always going upward. It's licking the air to reach upward like a flame. The body is the vehicle, literally like a vehicle. And they work together, they become joined as one. So think how absurd it is. The ship, the vehicle, is telling the captain, the soul, where to go. You ask someone, who are you? They don't tell you who I am. They say, they give you their business card. But that's what you do. And some people sadly will say, well, what I do has become who I am. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Who you are should define what you do. So when you think of it that way, if you can think of it from the inside out, that you are a soul that entered into this material world, now we're suddenly faced with materialism, with money, with finance, with all that money represents. But in that context, you're dealing with shells. Yes, they're powerful in the material world. You can buy things. People with money are worshipped, are honored. But it's like honoring the shell and forgetting about the fruit. What we should be honoring is the personality of an individual, their contributions, their transcendent pursuits. But what can you expect in a material world? A material world values what it sees important, which is materialism. So when you think of it that way, then you can make the argument, the first school of thought, asceticism. So then we have to escape into the spiritual world. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is to go into the material world, engage with it, and always remember that you're, still, you're a soul. You're within, but you're above. Engage with the world, but don't become part of it. Because you're here to change things. You're here to transform. So then money, materialism takes on a whole different meaning. It's critical in life. But it's critical as a means. It's a shell that protects the fruit. Don't worship the shell. It's the body that protects the soul. And in that sense, it's not just soul body within a human being. Everything in existence is, has a soul in the body. This table, this microphone, this computer. So the physical part of it is the shell, is the husk. Think about the letters on a page. Those are the containers in the words of the Kabbalists. And what is the energy, the message that these words are conveying? So everything you see, the table, the chairs, the computer, the anything, these are the instruments, the vehicles. Vehicles are meant to be used for something. They're meant to express something. But we have free will. So you can use it to express nonsense. You can use it to express nefarious and corrupt ends, as it unfortunately has been used, or you can use it to express your very soul. The Maimonides writes at the end of his classic magnum opus that in the future, which is the near future, after all the work that we've done through history, we will come to a world, and he uses an interesting expression. He says that the business of the world, that's the word he uses, ASIC, the business of the world would be nothing but to know the divine. Spiritual transcendence. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have a material life or material world, but it will not be seen as a means, as, a, as an end in itself. It will be seen as a means. That everything is teaching you about something greater and higher than ourselves. Now, that requires discipline and requires deliberate effort because it doesn't come naturally to us. But when you think about it and you work on it, think of it, you wake up in the morning, yes, your body is tired, it's hungry, maybe it's not tired because you rested. But that body is just a vehicle, a vehicle for the soul 
that is now starting a new day and fulfilling its mandate, its mission, and your contract has been renewed, how are you going to spiritualize the world around you? Which leads me to a critical component which makes Jewish mysticism unique. Most people think mysticism is a contrary narrative to materialism. There's a materialistic life, as I said, pursuit of materialistic acquisitions and conquests, money and so on, and all its equity. And there's a spiritual life. Seems like there are two options. There's a third option. And this is what Jewish mysticism introduces. That the ultimate goal is not just spirituality. It's something beyond the spiritual and beyond the material that fuses them together. Because you could also be spiritually arrogant, just as someone could be materialistically arrogant. It's about recognizing that these are two channels. Soul should define body. Form should def- function should dev- define form, not the other way around. Who you are should define what you do. But the goal is ultimately fusing them together. We reach a state of transcendence that transcends transcendence. And in that context, money then becomes a critical component. But not as a means, not as an end. It's as a means, as a piece of the puzzle, as the way to actualize. So spirit and matter, which usually people see as a conflict, the tension between them, how do we relieve that tension? By spiritualizing the material. And that's where charity takes on a whole new meaning. It's not just charity, okay, let's counter the greed and evil of capitalism by giving charity, by redeeming it some way. That's on a, on a minimal level, something far deeper. Money has spiritual sparks in it, just as everything in this material world. But it's trapped. Like I said, it's a husk, a shell. The problem is when you start worshipping the shell and forget about the spark. It's like, like eating the peel and throwing out the fruit when it should be the other way around. The fruit, the, the peel is meant to protect the fruit. So when money is seen that way and you redeem and elevate its sparks, it's a tremendous tool. In these week's chapters in the Torah, they read about the building of the sanctuary. In this, in this material world, it's a spiritual place, but it's made of physical matter. Gold, silver, copper. Silver, gold, copper in the order and other 15 materials. From the material world, we create a divine home. In material existence, we sublimate and spiritualize the material by recognizing the spark. So then you can engage, be as wealthy as you wish, and God bless everyone. That's why wealth is considered a blessing in this context. It's not just let's escape from it because of its challenges. Engage with it. But always remember, it's part of a higher blessing. It's part of the tools, just like if you're blessed with intelligence or you're blessed with other skills. They're not an end in themselves. They're meant to be given to you as a gift for you to fulfill your mission in life. That's why the Talmud says something very interesting. That Rebbe, the great Rabbi Yehuda HaAnasi, compiler of the mission in the Talmud, would honor the wealthy. As soon as you read that, one second here. You know, people honor the wealthy, people who are superficial or people who are materialistic. Why would this great sage honor the wealthy? And one of the answers is such a beautiful answer. He's honoring them because if God blessed them with wealth, it means God entrusted them with the means to be able to help make this world a better place. So he's honoring their opportunity, like you would honor anyone with a skill. It's not honoring the wealthy because he's trying to get their money. Honoring the wealthy is honoring that 
that blessing that they have, the opportunity. And each of us has unique opportunities. There's an expression in the Talmud, Ein Usher El Abedas, that there's no one wealthy but someone in knowledge. And Ein Oni El Abedas, and poverty is also in knowledge. So wealth and poverty is not only in context of actual money. So it's the gifts that we're blessed with. And recognizing, no, money is not the source of all evil. Source of all evil is bad choices people make. But they can make good choices. And then money can be harnessed. I would say even further, redeemed. Because you're redeeming the sparks in the words of the, mass, of the mystics, of the Kabbalists. You're redeeming the sparks and elevating them. And together, soul and body fused together in one seamless whole of a spiritualizing a material world. Turning this physical world into a garden. But you need to know what the means are and what the end is. And when you have that focus, it gives you an entire different perspective on money, on materialism, on, ver- on your very life, on your body. We need a healthy body because you need a healthy vehicle. But remember, it's always a vehicle. And finally, I want to say that Rabbi Shneir Zalm of Liadi, the founder of Chabad Hasidism, introduces a, a, a radical concept where he says, and when you harness that, you actually discover in the body something that's even greater than the soul. Because the soul is by nature transcendent. The body by nature is self-egocentric. But the body's very egocentric nature comes from a level that's beyond soul and beyond body. What he calls coming from the very essence that, has, that does not have a source. And that's why it created our egocentricity of the, what he calls the yesh, the identity of this very physical world in a way that we don't feel we have a source either. So that can be used in the wrong way by saying, you know what, I'm a self-made person. Or it could be used and harnessed in the right way to discover that that very essence comes from one of these most, from the highest level possible. But the soul needs to educate the body in that direction. And then you discover that the body contributes something. When I say body, again, I mean materialism. I mean the husks. I mean the shells. I mean, the, I mean everything that this material world represents. That that catapults the soul to other places. And the soul directs and guides the body into place transcendence. And together, a beautiful, seamless, majestic cosmic dance where matter and spirit, E equals MC squared, the ultimate fusion, the ultimate marriage of heaven and earth, of body and soul, of money and its, and its very soul. May each of us be blessed with that clarity and maintain it and don't allow the material world, and money to distract you into thinking that that is an end in itself. This has been Simon Jacobson, and thank you for listening. Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. Please check us out. This program and all so many other programs, we have a full, robust calendar of events online on very various topics for different audiences. Please check it out right on our site, MeaningfulLife.com. Love to hear your feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, critique. And please share this with others. We're basically on all the platforms out there trying to use technology, trying to use the material instruments of this world to spread light, to spread spirituality, and to spread a message of that will fuse the two together in the fullest sense of the word. Thank you again. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. 
Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.